0: <laughs> sink. Sink.
1: Welcome to Cut To The Podcast. We have a guest episode for you. This absolute gentleman has traveled around the world and not only that, on a bike. And not only that, on a single speed bike. He is the founder of Bikepacking Scotland and he creates and designs bikepacking routes that you can go and explore right now. It is the one, the only, Marcus Stitz. Welcome to (laughs) Cut2. I forgot uh, a huge part of what you do, which is filmmaking. Well, Marcus, I've done a, a little intro to you. How would you describe yourself?
2: How would I describe myself? Um, you know, I'm definitely a person who loves to go outside. I think that's the range of all of that. Um, and I love to be creative and I love working with people. And I, I guess the other thing is also to get the good out of people, like to inspire them to do something, um, something nice, something fun, something that makes other people happy, something that like, has a meaningful impact on their life.
1: You produce some really amazing content. I've been following your content ever since we met, um, which was many moons ago.
2: What's your tipple of choice? Uh, It's an Argentinian Malbec. So I'm not in Scotland at the moment, I'm in Norway, and alcohol is is a little bit more dear here.
1: What was the price of the bottle?
2: Uh, Ooh, that is a cheap one, 12 quid.
1: (laughs) And that's a cheap one?
2: That's the entry level here, yes.
1: <laughs> Fair play. Well, I'm I'm just drinking my usual mountains on the wine, which is unusual. Yeah,
0: very unusual. I forgot to get beer. I ran out of time to get beer, so I've raided the fridge and I've found some McGwigan Single Batch Project Pinot Grigio. So cheers, guys. Pleasure to have you on, Marcus. Okay. Yeah, absolute Absolutely. pleasure.
2: <laughs> Since coming back from around the world trip, I've been on adventures in very different parts of Scotland. It's sea lochs, Islands, hills and clans, just waiting to be explored.
1: You run Bikepacking Scotland. You founded that. Yeah. You design bikepacking routes that people can follow and you partner up with brands, local authorities um, and companies to help promote local areas in terms of tourism so people can get out there, enjoy things, uh, in a very responsible way, given that you're on a bike. Yeah. Um, so how did how did it all begin? You know, where where was the where was the love of cycling? Where did where did that begin?
2: So the love of cycling is a is an interesting one because uh, I I was a super late starter to anything which is exercise. In fact, I I i I would not use the word hate, but I disliked exercise um, as a kid because I'm I wasn't your sporty. Child, like I was always a bit clumsy, I think, <laughs> and, and I'm also quite. And this is interesting because I think, like as a child, I was really introverted, so I was more like, you know, you know, I I was quite comfortable sitting in the corner and doing stuff with my legal bricks so or constructing stuff. Um, and then I learned to cycle, um, I think, at the age of seven, and. Um, Yeah, and then like I also have quite an addictive personality, I think. So if I start doing something, so as a child, (laughs) those are all things people just necessarily don't know about me, Um, but I collected stamps, um, (laughs) like I've got like eight albums of stamps at home still. Um, And then, um, so, so I think once I've started cycling, I was just also trying to do more of it, Um, but I really just started at university. Um, when I was gaining a little bit of weight and I uh, started doing a little bit more exercise, I also had like a like a like a period of of quite severe illnesses um I did my community service um instead of military service in Germany and um I was working with um with children and i 've just picked up all the all the, um illnesses you can pick up in a in a a year it was quite it was it was quite interesting
1: tell me a little bit about that marcus was it a choice you could choose to do either military service or community service and that and that's a requirement
2: it 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 no longer is although who knows with the current situation at the moment it might come back um Mm. but um back then yeah you either had to do a community service or military service so you had to write a letter saying those are my reasons for not doing one year of military service. There was either one or three years you could do military service. Um, and I chose to do community service. And I was working in a, I was working in the Catholic school um, with um, disabled children. And that's kind of like a little bit where I started um, discovering film as a medium for me as well. That was back in the days, oh my gosh, where everything was taped still. Like there was there was nothing digital back in the days. Remember it well. I don't. <laughs> yeah. And then after, after that year of community service, I went to, I went to university. So I had like one of those, like, you know, the first year where you settle in and you do all the stuff. Um, and then in a the second year, I was in a beautiful town, um, like right on the edge of a forest. Um, and so I had this whole playground in front of my door and we, we lived on the edge of town as well. And, and then basically I just picked up a bike and started mountain biking and I. Th- I think ever since then I haven't really turned it down at all.
1: Thinking about you bikepacking, you do it a lot solo as well. And you went literally around the world. So you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you were packing your bike up and shipping it when, when, you know, because you can't cycle across an ocean. Well, maybe you could. I mean, sort that out, would you, Marcus? I'm (laughs) I'm a little disappointed if you didn't cycle across (laughs) the ocean. But (laughs) some people might think, my gosh, what a lonely pastime or or activity to do. What's it like when you're out there riding solo in the middle of nowhere?
2: I think there's a distinction. So I think there's two words. Like, I think there's being on your own and being lonely. And I think that they're very distinct things. Um, I think you can be lonely in other people's company. I I would not sugarcoat a trip like this. There are times where you try to throw in a towel and say, "This is this is it. I had enough of this. Like it's 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 a roller coaster. Um, like in many ways, actually, it's a it's a mental roller coaster. Um, I also chose to ride quite a hilly route because I was on a single speed. So if there's another misconception that people have with single speed bikes is that you would naturally choose the flattest route you can find, which you won't. I think if you talk to a lot of people out there who ride single speed bikes, they'll they'll." they'll yearn for any hill they can find because it means that you can get downhill on the other side as well. If you're on the flat straight road, you just have to have the right, yeah. It's just, I, I, I find it boring. Um, I would describe the trip as, I, I think it's been the best mindset building exercise I could have ever done. Um, you Especially the way I did it, I kind of throw myself in on the deep end because I didn't have much time to plan the trip. And that's a kind of things, like with many things in life, um, you can over plan things, you can plan things to death, and then don't do it. And kind of like find, it's very easy to find excuses for not doing things. That's much easier than, than actually doing things. Um, and so I didn't have much time to plan the trip and I thought like it's, you know, from the outset, it can't be that difficult. You know, all you really need to do is to ride your bike, for a certain distance a day find some food find a place to pitch your tent um and find some transport in between like that really is it like there's nothing it's nothing complicated about it um and that's what i did for a year and of course you know there are situations where um like on like i love the deserts but there can be they can be quite um Interesting places as well. I'd, I wouldn't call them lonely places because that's again. This is this distinction of being I think I'm I'm very happy being by myself and I wouldn't describe that as being lonely at all Because I know you know if I want to speak to someone I can pick up the phone or whatsoever I've got friends like and those friends won't disappear just because I'm going around the world for you And still be there and you, you meet such an amazing amount of people along the way um, some people you Um, stay friends with for the rest of your life. Other people you'll just meet for a moment and you save the moment and then, you know, and then they'll be gone again. And you'll possibly never see them in your life again. Um, So yeah, I like, yeah, it's just a, it was an incredible experience overall.
1: Shall we get a little cut to?
0: I'm really interested to hear about your, like, your mental endurance throughout that trip. Like, you, you've said, you know, there were multiple times where you were going to throw in the towel, but, like, what was that thing that just kept you going for as long as you did as well? Like a year cycling, which is a long time. <laughs> I guess,
2: um, I guess there's this kind of various stages of a trip like this. So I think when you leave, so the first month or so, there's a certain amount of novelty to it. Um, As there is with loads of other things in life, you know, I think, um, so it's the novelty at the beginning that, that, and, and I was also, I mean, I was, I was naturally curious about the fact whether or not it could be done to cycle a one speed bike around the world. Like I hadn't heard of anyone who's done that. So I think in a certain sense that has, that was kind of the overarching thing throughout the trip where you kind of, it wasn't to prove anything. I was just simply out of curiosity, is this possible or isn't it possible?
1: I've had a couple of conversations this week in the lead up to you joining us on Cut2. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) As a cyclist, why wouldn't you choose a single speed?
2: I think it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know it's but but this is this is I think this is there's a there's a whole thing where our society is heading um so I think, and I'm not technophobe at all, like I really like you know, I think there's innovations that have been utterly useful, um but there's also especially in the bike industry, there's a lot of stuff that gets invented just to keep people entertained and to provide them with yet another thing Um, you know what i what i like in general about cycling is the simplicity and also that it is a cheap thing to do overall and that basically also means that if you go to countries like iran um, or um, Laos, vietnam so countries which you know where people have a different living standard they still ride a bicycle, and it's still the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's got two wheels. It's got a frame. It's got some sort of handlebars, a chain, and and that's it. You know, and and it will go.
1: Don't forget a seat.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's the the, the simplicity is. Fa- and 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 I didn't do any single speed riding until 2010, when I when I made the well for other people, mad decision. For me, it was, yeah, yeah totally normal um to cycle home for christmas in the middle of winter and pretty tough conditions minus 10 degrees so this is where things start freezing on your bike um and i thought like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bot myself down with having a a bike where things could go wrong i'm just gonna take one which is as simple as possible and it was the right decision because people things didn't break and you know ever since i did do that <laughs> there was no real rational argument not to take a single speed bike um and i think simplicity is a is a really thing and 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 that approach is is to everything you can make things overly complicated you can you can you can take that across all walks of life or you can deal things in kind of saying look um that's Let's, let's make it simple, let's make it the way that everybody understands it. If you make things complicated for the sake of then not doing it, that's tricky. Um, you know, I'm also not saying that you should do everything in the simplest way possible. I think there needs to be an element of challenge in there as well. Um, but there's certain processes that don't need to be more complicated than, than possible. And, and certainly riding a bike is one of them.
0: Not not only are you uh, uh, a cyclist, but you are also a content creator and uh, an influencer. You have a, a huge following in the cycling community, yeah. and a large part of that is just because you've documented your journey around the world and everything else that you've been doing on the side. So, I guess how did when did you start using both of these elements? When did you start combining content creation with your cycling?
2: I think kind of in a way before my trip around the world, because I was always interested in in medium and when I worked with Finn, um, so when we met, I was head of marketing at Scottish Swimming and I started there in 2012 and, you know, one of the first things I was trying to introduce was live streaming at the events, because we were always talking about, oh, you know, we've got those families all across Scotland, they're sometimes in weird and wonderful to, like not weird and wonderful, but far away from where the action happens in Shetland and Orkney. You know, some of the parents were were, were on oil rigs in the North Sea, so they could not just simply travel to see their kids' competition. And and that's I think this is where I I realized how much how much power film video has as a medium. You know, to to connect people and to tell your story. And but then. You know, I was also like I had a full-time job, and I was doing a lot of cycling. And back in the days, um, equipment was nowhere nearly as compact as it is these days. Um, and um, so, I really started f- filming using my iPhone very much when I when I went around the world, basically to to create a vlog. And and that was proper, you know, YouTube style. Like you know, it was. You know, if I look at the films right now, I haven't watched them for a while. It's a it's a very different style. It's a very different production quality than I would do these days. But then in a way, it was it was again, you got you, you, you have to start somewhere. Um, and, and and there was obviously a, a, a quite a quite trip um, to do that. I think after the round the world trip, there was um, I was kind of like naturally kind of looking at how can I um, combine my passion with cycling with um, making a living. I was basically using um, my around the world trip and having worked in marketing and being a DJ for a long, long time. So music's a really important element in what I'm doing. Combining the three things together and it started from there. I did some, some stuff in 2017, so I worked with, with Finn and you actually on the River Raid and then I did a few films myself. Um, and I think the thing that really kicked it off again was doing um, No Stone Unturned, which was a self-filmed um, documentary about cycling the Silk Road in, in Kyrgyzstan. And that was the first film that really got an audience out there. Um, and and it was solely filmed on an iPhone. So. No drones you know i had a i had an osmo i had an osmo pocket with me as well, but managed to fall into a river on day one and that rendered that useless
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's too complicated a piece of equipment you know <laughs> yeah
2: there was such a stupid accident <laughs> no, it wasn't an accident i was just it's just falling in a freshwater river but i had all my electronics in the pockets uh, <laughs> but this is like you learn you know there's the stuff you this is just you know you make experiences um and you know once you've made them you try not to do them again um, and, and I think that's <laughs> but then again this is like this is comes that comes back to cycling um, and that question you asked you know why don't look like, how do you deal with pressure and why don't you throw the towel in? it's 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 a question of experience because the more experience you have the more situations you can reference to your own personal experience so if you start from a very you know at at the beginning you start off and you're possibly very much heavily influenced by other people's experiences and the more you progress you know i've been sitting on my bike now for 15 years doing what i'm doing Um, and i yeah did a fair share of filmmaking in that time as well so i can now reference situations back to my own experience and I think this is much more powerful. Um, And there are many moments where you kind of go like, right, I've done it at some stage in my life, I pushed my bike over a boogie path and it was fine, I arrived at the end. There's no need to stress about this. Um, It's the same with filmmaking, you know, I think if you, when I started, I remember when I did the film in Kyrgyzstan, you know, I I was commissioned to do a film, and I was just like, "What am I going? To, what happens if I screw this up? You know, what am I going to do?" Um, and then I thought, like, you know, those people said you're gonna—they want the documentary from you because they, you know, for whatever shape or form, they believe in what you're doing, and and so just just go out out, out there and do it, and you know, trying to do a good job, and eventually, yeah, it came together pretty well in the end.
1: In terms of footwear, uh, are you always, what are the proper cycling, you know, the ones that clip in, what are they called?
2: Well, well, cycling shoes.
1: (laughs) Cycling shoes. I didn't want to, I didn't want to assume. (laughs) Are you always wearing those as you're doing these long, you know, you know, in Kyrgyzstan, for example?
2: Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Except if I ride in snow, because then they can be a pain in the neck.
1: So can I paint a picture for everyone that watches your content? every time you see a shot of marcus cycling into the distance you're needing to either cycle or run back collect that camera exactly (laughs) and then and then go back so literally you might be traveling around the world or across the country but you're actually doing multiple (laughs) multiple laps it's an incredible feat
2: yeah it's um, <laughs> It can be and you know it gets really interesting so if, you, if I'm documenting a route for example so the process is basically there's like you start from scratch in most of the cases you do some test research and then you plot something on the computer um, and then you have that GPX file um, with the route and you put it on your GPS on the bike in most cases test writing those routes and then often the filmmaking is part of that process. So in an ideal world, you just test write it and then you have this clean file and then you can work with it. Like if you're doing the filming at the same time, you won't have that because you're going back and forth. So you have to then (laughs) go back into the file and clean the whole file up as well because you obviously don't want to tell people, no, no, you don't have to cycle five times this bit. I remember there's one shot in the Kyrgyzstan film like five seconds of film, um, and it took like 45 minutes to record that because I, I, like, I didn't have a drone. So the reason why I didn't take a drone to Kyrgyzstan because it was just too much, too much to log around, and I, I wouldn't have had like any, any, any power in the mountains to to recharge it. So I would have possibly had like two, three, four battery loads, and then you will just. Oh, holy shit! What happened here? Oh dear, I think I screwed that bit up that's all
0: right what's the deal is there maybe like a recording limit on the a7s3 that's the
2: other thing you could, you you, you record so much you that you don't need in the end you know this is like it's something to be mindful of mm. um that the sheer quantity of footage um there's always a little bit of imperfection in there as well because you obviously like if you shoot other people you can frame things much better there's always an there's always an element of surprise when you do it this way and 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 often some things turn out to be actually much better than you imagined them to be um, and sometimes you just win it.
1: We should probably move on because there's there's lots of interesting stuff to come. Should we have a little cut to Marcus? Oh, fill up your drink first. Let's prioritize. <laughs> cut to your first cycling adventure. That you were filming that you got paid for or at least brought in some revenue from tell us about that how did it come about how did you make it happen
2: i think the first proper paid job was yeah it was with the scottish youth fosters association actually um and um yeah i guess with all people who start out at the beginning it's really tough to, to do that because i think you you know you you've got no idea really what day rates are you know because that's about like in the end of the day i'm running a business and mm. and you know running a business comes with loads of exciting stuff but it also comes with a lot of costs and time like i think time is the most important thing which you y- y- If you start on that journey, you can't really calculate that properly, because you've got no experience how long it takes to do your books and you know, to acquire stuff. So um, I wonder how that came about. (laughs) Actually, um, it was basically I think I was talking to the marketing manager of um, the Scottish Youth Hostels Association. And um, yeah, they wanted to have a route that combined four hostels. In the rest of Scotland together. pod Charlotte, Oban, um what else? <laughs> Tobomori. Um and another one.
1: Gosh, well well remembered to, to remember three after all that time.
2: I think the I think the important bit is possibly to know as well. So when I was when I was coming back from the round the world trip, so I was working not nine to five, but I had like a proper like what people call a proper job um so i was paid a salary um and i but on the flip side i also wasn't allowed to take any any freelance work with that salary so i Mm. couldn't have made what i'm doing right now work at all and that was partly one of the reasons possibly why i left as well because i kind of saw that a little bit as a infringement of my own freedom you know like Mm. i was kind of like um you know i'm 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 okay getting paid and I always worked more than I than I was contracted for anyway. Um, um, But when I came back from the round the world trip, I basically had a choice is like, are you going to go back to the same old or are you trying to set something else up yourself, which is going to be scary and it's going to be a lot of unknowns in there. Um, But financially, I had a little bit of a back still so you know i had basically given myself a budget for 12 months of cycling plus another 5 months afterwards where i could figure out what i want to do and i think there's a really good decision because i wasn't plunging into having to accept just any job when i came back from the round the world trip because it takes a, a lot of time to kind of reconnect back to the real world and then
0: yeah.
2: um, and then I did the thing of flipping back to same old happens, very very human thing. We do that so many times. Um, kind of, I found myself in job interviews for full time positions, and I was like, hold on, Marcus, <laughs> this is not what you want to do. This is not you. You know, do something else. Don't be scared by it. You've just cycled around the world. Like this is a thing that most people don't achieve in their life. So, you know, there's no point in being scared about something. So I then kind of like got a part time contract working for the Borders Book Festival. So I knew I could pay my rent um, um, for the month and everything else was basically a bonus in my head. Um, And then, yeah, and then I was looking for for paid work doing what i really wanted to do and there was the um it was called syj back then it's called Hosting scotland these days um and i think we're talking about confidence and we're talking about things so i think if you if and I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys agree with that you really have to believe in what you're doing because otherwise you'll be chopping off with that like you know and and yeah financially it's going to be tricky sometimes you know especially of like finding <coughs> finding your day rate and understanding how much your work is worth. Because mm-hmm. in the end of the day, that's what it's about. Um, and um, that takes a while that doesn't happen overnight, you know. Um, um, but within all of that, you know, you need to have the confidence of what you're doing is actually the right thing. Because if you don't have that confidence that comes across to clients as well. When we filmed the Viva rate, um, there was, there is was the first project where i said i'm gonna design a route in the scottish borders um document that with the film and see if that model works and that model work you know i had the confidence of doing it um the film has been watched i don't know i'm not sure i haven't had a look at, at youtube um but enough times to make it work and there was some nice media coverage on the back of that as well um and that's exactly what I had planned to do with it. Um, and then it's just a matter of, once you've done it successfully once, then then look at the stuff that worked and the stuff that didn't work, make the stuff that didn't work better for the next project and the stuff that worked also make it better, because it can always be better. Um, and and then do it again. And, and, and I think this is kind of like the thing. And I mean, the whole thing I'm doing is based on, in many cases knowing the right people and approaching them at the right time that's mm-hmm. you know like i think if you sum up business <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it is and i think this is a this is a craft you learn with experience yeah no one's gonna yeah. tell you how to do that and i think what i did with bikepacking scotland was very brave i for me even for me <laughs> and i've done some brave stuff i remember when i started so i wanted to do this and and like after the rebo raids, i i really thought like there is a um there's a niche for this it is always going to be a niche thing um and what i'm doing is niche and i'm actually quite proud of doing something that is niche because it's actually much more difficult to do that but at the same time also much more rewarding um and I remember i went to various organizations beforehand and they were all like oh bikepacking nice <laughs> good luck <laughs> yeah this is the kind of thing and look at bikepacking now look at gravel riding you know there's there's a there's a huge market out there um and Like, I sound like a marketeer, I sound like a business person, I'm actually not, you know, I'm doing a lot of the stuff, literally, because I want to, I want to have people having a good time. And I think if I look at my round the world trip, that gave me so much um, in terms of my life experience, you know, I learned so much in that year, and I think like, Generally, people who ride bikes, I I am yet to meet any miserable person who is riding a bike. Like most of the people (laughs) I've met were really nice people, or they became really nice people while they were doing it.
0: Good therapy session.
2: (laughs) In a a way, it is. Like, you know, I've just seen um, there's a film about the Capitol Trail um, from two women riding the Capitol Trail and trying to do it under 24 hours. And that was the first proper trail I developed before I went around the world. I'm on the back of my own time, you know, not not as a commercial thing at all. And that's just so nice to see that something is getting used by someone. And it's the same with the films as well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of on the thing is like, you know, if there's one or two people in the audience who watch that film and kind of say that like, I'm going to do this and it makes me feel better about myself, it changes something in my life. That's amazing. You know, that's that's what it's that's in the end of the day. It's, that's what it's all about. And of course, I have to run a business, I have to make it work, you know, I need to pay my bills, I need to pay mm-hmm. myself. Um, and and it's also, I think this is the component that comes in once you're through this entrepreneurial phase, um, where you also kind of go like, well, I can't go full guns blazing all the time, I really need to take good care of myself, because especially good creative work requires that you take a breath every now and then and take a step back and kind of go like whoa you know like now's the time to take some time off and that's the thing you know that comes with time um but yeah i kind of like you know i'm in that phase now i'm kind of go like you know i'm i'm thankfully like at a phase where i can kind of say like i really want to do this work because i want to do it like I, i don't have to do it necessarily um and that's that's a nice place to be, you know, and I've that takes you know, it took five years to get there. Um and at times also in the five mm. years I had times where I was kind of go like, Oh my gosh, you know, what am I gonna get, what if I'm not gonna get any projects the next year? And then you kind of go like there's nothing to think that way because you've done work, you know, and people liked it. So there's nothing to suggest that you won't be doing that in the future. So but, yeah, the economics of it is, is interesting sometimes.
0: The trials and tribulations of running your own business, as many can relate. Yeah, let me ask you one, one final question about earning
1: uh, before we move on. What one piece of advice would you give to someone out there who has a real passion for something that they would love to do full-time and wants to earn a living from it, what's what's the first thing they should do?
2: Well, the first thing essentially is do it. <laughs> you know, because I think this is what's holding back a lot of people. They like, I guess if you try something, you've got no experience whether it's gonna work or not. You know, um, if, you, if you have a bit of fallback line then possibly use that if you can you know that could be either savings or you know whatever but if that's not the case then i would also that that would not be the thing that would probably hold me back because Mm -hmm. i think you can always (laughs) you can always in a way go back to what you used to do like you know don't burn bridges i think that's that's possibly the, the biggest bit of advice like you know be be mindful of what you want to achieve but also be mindful of there's other people you know success is not just what you do like it's it's how you do it and how how you make it you know how how do you because you can only achieve so much by yourself you'll at some stage in the process you need a team at some Mm -hmm. stage in the process you need to upscale it Um, um, and that always involves people and people remember so so you know kind of just be a nice be a nice person and, and I think for me, and this is this is kind of also that's coming back to, to setting the right price and whatever. Think about value, you know, don't think about like cut the term money or any of this like out of your vocabulary. Whenever I talk to people, I talk about, you know, there is a certain value that I bring to what you're doing and there's a certain value that you bring to what I'm doing. And that's what we're talking about, and there is an exchange of value going on, and that exchange will be either monetary or whatever, you know. But like, I think like just be be really mindful of who you are, and what you want to do, and you know the the value comes from that. And if you've got that sorted, as the first step, and I think the things will fall in
0: place afterwards. Well said,
1: Marcus. Let's let's drink to that. That is a yeah. Great advice. Cracking bit of advice.
0: Slonjavar.
1: And I think that's a cut to moment. Shall we? Cut to. Cut to...
2: <laughs>
1: OK, did we want to stop and start? Just check the cameras recording?
2: Oh, holy shit. What happened here? Oh,
1: fuck. Interesting. This next section, we've actually dived into a little bit which is about living, you know, day-to-day living as someone who is trying to make their craft work day-to-day. And and you've spoken a bit about living, but this work-life balance is an interesting one for you because indeed your work is very much a passion. Talk to us about, you know, the work-life balance question, how do you make that work yourself?
2: <laughs> that is a good question. I think I'm, 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 I'm in the process of trying to master that and haven't quite reached it. Um, like, so I think one thing that had a huge impact on, on managing that properly was getting a proper desk space. And I think that made a huge difference because that basically, A, a it's got the social compo- componentry um because i just I, i'm i'm just like as i said i i can be quite introvert but i also need social contact every now and then um so it's a co-working space there's other people there other photographers videographers all sorts of people like it's and it's great if you you know if you want to be a bit of piece of advice from someone you'll find someone who can give you some advice um I think the interesting thing about what I'm doing is that like cycling is for me a hobby and a job at the same time. There are times where I'm quite strict with myself and kind of like do really need to force myself to get off the desk and say that that's it you've worked x amount of hours today um, that's it and then I also sometimes deliberately go on cycle rides where I don't take my camera with me or my GPS or whatsoever and just bumble around town and have a good time and you know this is this is neither route mapping nor any content creation whatsoever Um, but yeah the lines are very blurry Um, but then on the other side I think I've learned to accept that as well like I'm very um, I'm not the sort of person who who necessarily switches off on a Friday afternoon and then goes off to do the weekend and then comes back to the Monday because I've tried that a number of times as well. And and then you see an amazing sunset or whatsoever and you kind of go like, you know, no one really stops me from getting my camera out. And if the situation is, is okay to do it, then all of a the sudden then that becomes work for five minutes.
1: Gosh, I, I feel you, I feel yeah,
0: you. Yeah, big time.
2: <laughs> you know, I think in the in in a sense that's a luxury I really have. You know, I managed to find to do something that I really love doing, which I'm passionate about, which inspires other people, and I earn a living with it. It's a pretty pretty privileged position to be in. Um,
1: Marcus, you're you're an absolute bastard.
2: I know it's like, but on on the other hand, this is good because every job I I do evaluate that always like, am I delivering what I was supposed to do here? Am I giving my client, a brand, a DMO, or whoever, the best possible outcome they can achieve? That's what it is about um, and, 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 and also but then also flipping that around into personal life. So if I'm out with my girlfriend um, or with friends whatsoever, then you kind of go like, am I giving those people the best possible time they can spend with me? And I'm not giving them the best possible time if I'm constantly looking at my phone checking my messages or spending you know sometimes if I'm out on a social ride I just have to accept the fact that some people have a totally different approach to what I'm doing so they won't be stopping at every single opportunity to take a picture or to capture something and that's cool you know this is kind of like I think this is finding the the right balance of kind of understanding where is this kind of thing Uh, you know where do I need to draw the line and if I draw the line then just stick to it
0: You've travelled all around the world. What was the worst experience in your in your cycling and also content creation career? <laughs> oh dear, I'm, I'm just banging my brain.
1: Yeah, take t- take a moment. Like, let's pick the best one. Let's pick the best
2: one. Are there that many? Yeah, <laughs> the best worst one. <laughs> oh, let's start with the best one. What what was the best one? That is a tricky one because you don't want to upset anyone. Let's say one
1: of the best. And then let's quickly get to the worst.
2: <laughs> That's the part where everyone's watching. Oh, am I gonna get picked here? Um, <laughs> <laughs> from a from a creative point of view, it was GB Duo last year. Like I really, really enjoyed that as an experience, less as an overall experience, and also just a sheer concept.
0: GB Duo in three
2: words: hard ass. <laughs>
1: If I could capture in a sentence like, the way I felt about it on the finish is, I left it all out there. I couldn't have gone back and ridden harder at any stage. I left it all out there. And I think if you can get to the end of any race and say that, whether you come in first, middle or last, that's awesome, you know, that's,
2: that's your personal best. That's you building a sense of, of worth. I filmed GB Duo, um and it was done completely done by bike and public transport um, while following a pretty fast-paced bikepacking race on a route I partially knew but partially didn't know at all. So a bad experience of the good experience was actually sitting on the train on the first day after having missed so I was documenting uh, Mark Beaumont's journey but also the other riders in the field as well and on day one I've missed Mark a number of times by like 5 minutes and that's super like annoying Um, (laughs) because like if it's 10 or 20 minutes you know at least you've totally screwed up your schedule. 5 minutes is kind of exactly that time frame where you haven't quite screwed it up but still haven't got any results. So basically I spent the whole day cycling around and taking various trains with getting very little footage I mean the amount of footage I've used in the overall documentary is minimal from day one Because it just wasn't the right stuff, you know, and it was like it was It was very annoying um, But on the other hand Like at the end it was such an amazing experience because it was It was something that hadn't like to my knowledge that hadn't been done beforehand and and it was a, in a sense it was a bit like the round the world trip it was a bit bonkers and it was kind of like so people were like so why are you not just driving around around and and follow people that way like everyone else would do and i was like because i don't I, I just i generally believe in that wasn't the right approach to document the race um and in the end of the day the approach i took delivered what I want to do as a film, and that's all that matters. Um, without, basically, with the lowest carbon footprint you can possibly imagine doing doing a job like this. There'll always be a sort of carbon footprint in what you do.
1: The only thing that's less carbon footprint that I can think is maybe rambling. Yeah. Naked, that is. That's
2: true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you still have a carbon footprint because you'll eat food, which is possibly, you know, you would have to be a vegan rambler who is basically producing all your own produce.
1: Let's get them on cut two. Let's find that find that person.
0: <laughs> Next week on cut two. <laughs> it's cut two. It's, that, it's cut two. Nice one, Marcus. For the, like the tenth time, you have travelled around the world. That is quite a an amazing feat and has no doubt no doubt changed your outlook on life. It's changed the. Your outlook on working when you got home, you know, obviously you you, you had a bit of buffer, but it made you think, you know, this isn't for me. I want to do, I want to work for myself, which is uh, another huge achievement. Um, But if you were to go back in time and give yourself some advice, what advice would that be? Um,
2: It's a good question. I think being a little bit more mindful about what you're doing, what your actions, have on other people because i think this is this is possibly a thing i i'm considering now but i haven't really considered that you know as the younger self you know i was i was possibly quite quite forceful (laughs) and like you know i've always I've, i've i've always in a sense of carved my own um path in life the way i thought it works best for me like if i would have to go back 20 years and kind of start again um possibly i think the bit of advice i would possibly give myself is just to kind of uh, could have potentially started that self-employed journey much much earlier you know i think there was a there was possibly um but then I've traveled a lot and I guess like when I moved to certain countries, having like the jobs I did, they gave me a social network and they gave me kind of like this network of people you kind of really need to start up. So in a sense, it made total sense to do it this way. Like I've always managed to hopefully find at least a point where I said like this is it, this is a new chapter. And um, yeah, but yeah, bit more mindful, a bit less forceful at times. Um.
1: Great advice, Marcus. Really, really good advice. Interestingly, to give a comparison, I often reflect the opposite, which is maybe I should have found a company that I was like, oh that's an awesome company. I love what they're doing. I'm gonna get a job there and learn as much as I can, as quickly as I can, and then, do that. Um, whereas I, I did that, and I tell you what, I learnt loads. Like you know, similar to yourself, I'm a jack of all trades, master of some, as I like to call it. So maybe it's just reflecting as we get older. We're like, I should have maybe done it that other way. Um, when I met you. I, I thought here's a guy who respects and understands content. That's what I love the most about working with you, uh, because. i I got that vibe i was like you understand it you respect it you're happy to work with someone who's who's just really passionate about creating that and that really made a difference and that really makes a difference to to us day to day working with people who have that that similar respect for content because not everyone does everyone kind of needs content these days but not everyone understands the background of it and you've just constantly doubled down on understanding the background of content to the point of becoming like a really interesting and fascinating content creator. And I encourage people to to look and sit and watch, like put Marcus's films on full screen, turn the volume up and just sit, you know, sit and you'll feel like you're on that wee journey with you. And that's that's what I like about
2: you know, it's like, and this is my big advantage. You know, like if you work in the creative industries, like always appreciate that um, there is a lot of work that goes into those things. So often, what you see at the end is just a fraction of, you know, the whole process. Um, and 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 that's important as well. Um, but it's a, it's also the same. You know, I think that is the same with. With everything else, you know, you'll find some amazing carpenters, some amazing bricklayers, you know, everyone who's got a passion in what they're doing and like is really, really, um, yeah, kind of involved and, and kind of, I think that's what's important for me. And I think this is also makes a difference when you work with people. So I always work really well with people who are passionate about things who I know, like, and you know, it's also, it's, it's about the thing is like the way you work so you know put trust in people you know it takes a few it takes a few moments days years to build a relationship with people but once you've got that relationship trust that relationship because otherwise yeah, well said like that's kind of like you know why it's just, this is i think this is the possibly that's a bit of advice i would give to my younger self as well because i think there were potentially moments at the very Early stages of my career, where I didn't have this trust in other people that much as I do right now, um, and that's just a that's just a rabbit hole you put yourself into because, like, yeah, like you know, empower people to do something um, and then let them roll with it, and and believe in that what they're doing is going to be the best possible outcome.
1: Nice, nice. I loved I love that you mentioned the trades there as as we call them because. When we were uh, renovating this place, there's there's one tradesperson.
0: I was just thinking about that as well, <laughs> just based off what you've said.
1: Every time, yeah, exactly. I've mentioned it to everyone. Um, every time I walk into the bathroom, I look at the tiles and I think of Scott, because Scott was so passionate about his work and the tiles and was explaining the detail of them because i'm just and i'm interested in people who are interested about something i i have really before that time had no interest in tiles but he made me interested in tiles and he was so passionate about tiles i've recommended him to everyone and if i ever need tiling done i know who to call so scott if you're watching slash listening you're an absolute goddamn legend Uh, absolute legend. Uh, But I'm gonna move it swiftly on. We met when social media existed. We both remember when social media didn't exist. What is your thoughts on technology in terms of cycling and content creation with this rapid advance?
2: Well, I think in terms of technology, it's like everything's like, it basically enabled me to do the things I can do right now like I think 10 years back it would have been quite difficult so most of the projects and this is my huge advance like I can literally take all the camera equipment with me on the bike and cycle around for 80 kilometers Um, so it's a rolling production studio (laughs) like and and (laughs) it, it, it does come with compromises as well you know like but I think in like on the larger scale of things i can produce high quality content with very lightweight equipment like um, like i think the thing that technology will never replace is is having a good yeah, creative direction like storytelling you know, ha- having having storytelling having an eye for what cuz th- i think that's the craft um, like y- y- like cameras like any any camera equipment you get these days if you know how to use it, it will produce super super good quality. like it's really difficult to screw it up. Um, but you can with the best camera in the world if you, if your composition isn't right, if your lighting isn't right, then it's you know that's that's the thing that technology can never replace. When I was working as a DJ, like you get, I'm pretty sure you get all sorts of um, bits. Like I haven't DJed for 12 years now, so I'm kind of like in the dark ages of vinyl. Um, um, the thing you can't replace, and you will never be able to replace, is which song fits in which situation. And this is about reading the room, and and this stuff, it's it's about making a good film. You know, you kind of really have to think what works best. On screen, and that is not necessarily what looks best in real world. You know, this is the kind of thing. I think my my take on technology in cycling is a slightly different one, <laughs> because I do think um, there's there's some technologies in cycling. Like I'm a big fan of e-bikes, for example, for the sake of getting more people into cycling, and I think it's an absolute godsend to to people who you know who people who like couldn't make it up a hill beforehand. We just simply didn't have the strength or whatever. And they can now sit on an e-bike and cycle up a hill and that's amazing. Um, but I think the cycling industry has also demonstrated that sometimes there were things invented just for the sake of inventing something and no one really needed it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a gadget, right?
2: Like. Uh, and, and, and so the whole gadgety thing, like, that's like, I think, and, and again, I'm, 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 I'm quite careful minting my words right now, because I do know people who sit on their bike because they can, road, they can record their ride on Strava, or they can sit on a turbo trainer and ride on Swift. None of that remotely interests me at all. <laughs> I must say, like, I've spent a bit of time on a turbo trainer, and I thought it the most boring thing I could do in the world. Like, literally. <laughs> no <laughs> is,
1: is that similar is that similar to a peloton type
2: pretty much yeah, yeah yeah um and like for training purposes i should do it much more often because you'll just yeah like if you look at the time spent on it and what you get out of it it's brilliant you know i i think i had the most enjoyable rides on my 1970s single speed with skinny tires on most on the most unsuitable terrain for this bike you know, like times where you get shit scared going down a hill because you've got windbreaks that don't really break. <laughs> and you kind of go like, oh mo- <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> you know, something's gonna happen here, but it doesn't happen because you also kind of got this um, um yeah, kind of reassurance, you know, I've cycled too many places and I can I can pull this off. Um Um, quite confidence is what Mark calls it a good friend of mine. And I think this is a good, is a, is a good thing. So, you know, technology and and camera thing, amazing, but you still need to use, you still need to know how to use them. Like a film doesn't produce itself just because you've got a great camera, you know.
1: Marcus, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I I deliver a a lot of training to people who aren't content creators, but handle content. and that's what i say all the time i'm like i'm gonna teach you the craft and then you can pick up any piece of equipment you want editing is the same you know it doesn't matter what you're editing on it's the craft of editing once you understand how pieces fall together they don't fall together you know what i mean yeah. um you can use whatever you want um yeah but that development doesn't happen in a day um, you can you can learn you yep. can learn the the basics of the craft but it takes and i think your evidence of that it takes time effort determination and just a willingness to to get to the the finish line oh you yeah know? but and- but you're pushing that finish line on every single time which is why i love your work so much is that you know you 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 compartmentalize these routes and this content but
2: I'm always waiting well
1: where's he where's he gonna go to next Where, where's he gonna cycle to
2: yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be taking a totally unsuited bike on a long distance journey tomorrow <laughs> see what the outcome's gonna be um, but
1: we'll keep updated yeah before before we let you go is there anything that you would like to mention that is coming out soon that people should keep an eye out for?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, two, two projects um, which are, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty close to my heart. That sounds super cliche. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I think I've spent about the best part of five years wrangling with myself whether to write a book or not. Um, about my round the world trip and I, 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 I don't think I still have come to any conclusion because I still think there's a lot of material in there which should possibly be um, make it into a book. Um, but I've worked on a book um, and documentary combination. Um, and, and again this is possibly a little bit pushing pushing the lines because I'm like I love printed publishing. There's nothing cooler than having like a nice book in your hands. Um, um, but I also love films so what I've done is portray 25 different people. So because I, I really believe in that people do not identify themselves with things. they people identify themselves with real people like like and this is another bit of um, in terms of content creation, like if you look at brands, you know no one likes a brand just because of a brand. That's rubbish they like a brand because of the so- people associated with the brand. You know, the people that represent well the said. brand. Um, and there was basically like a simple marketing concept I've taken into the book as well because I was like, I can do 25 routes in Britain. Um, and that in itself will be a really nice process because <laughs> I get to travel the country and, you know, um, but then I felt like it, it will be much richer to do the process of actually I'm gonna find 25 people I think are interesting and that could be interesting for other people as well. Um and portray them and portray their favourite roots. Um and, and and that was basically what the documentary and the book is gonna be about. And I think um yeah, that was a really nice thing. And then I'm also working on a film at the moment. I got commissioned by Valde and um Ferries to do um, a bikepacking journey across the Inner Hebrides, and <laughs> I, I, I think there's places in life that you aspire to go to, but for whatever reason, it never happens. So there's two places in Scotland. One is the Mall of Contai, which I'm yet a uh, Mull of Kuntai, which I'm yet to reach, <laughs> and the other one was the Isle of Jura. Um, and Jura is, I think it's a. It, like I, so I eventually made it there. So that's the documentary I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> it was a mind-blowing experience. Because it's such a... Jura is such a unique place. And I think Jura kind of like sums up a little bit of my life in an island. So um, there's... Jura is a place where the KLF burned a million quid overnight in a boat shed. Um, and the KLF is the band that influenced my music preferences when I was a DJ. Like, I don't think there's there's another band that had such a massive impact um, on 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 my and so my brother um, my brother used to work as a DJ in East Germany and being a DJ in East Germany was literally recording stuff from the radio station um, illegally. <laughs> um, so this is
1: pre pre the wall coming down. Yeah. Is that what you
2: yeah. mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> And then in the 90s, so when, and all of this is like uh, sadly really topical at the moment again, I think, which was going on in the world at the moment, I think. Um, But I remember, so when the wall came down, he, like, the first thing he bought was a CD player, and he bought um, the White Room from the KLF, um, which is, I think it's, yeah, it's available again, because, but basically the KLF produced a record, <laughs> made a lot, a lot of money. So talking about passion and believing in what you're doing, I think the KLF is, is, is the best real-life example you can ever find. They wrote a book, How to record the Number One Single, they did it, became insanely successful. <laughs> And then they thought like, hold on, we don't need all of this cash, (laughs) and burned it in the boat shed in Jura. Again, in itself quite questionable, you could have possibly been... I've
0: never heard that. (laughs) Neither (laughs) have I, that's crazy. After it had been done, and about a year or so later, there was a... We had this film, we actually filmed the whole thing, all however long it took, and we started showing that film at places, and we felt we owed it to, at least to our families, to, to come up with a reason why you do something like that. And and when we showed the film, when we went out with it, all people wanted to know was, did you really do it? You know, well, it could be fake, no, or this, you know, come with all these things. And we realised it didn't matter how much we said or attempted to prove that this was, no, this is for real. This is, this is... The ones that didn't want to believe would, would not believe, and the ones that wanted to believe, would want to believe. So, so that happened
2: in 1994, and then Jura is also the island where Oval wrote 1984, and, and a book which what? has yeah.
1: M- Marcus, my gosh, you are full of gems.
2: They've got an amazing whiskey distillery as well. Um, mm.
1: so That's more how I know Jura. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, and there exactly have exactly.
2: always been so many good reasons to go to Jura, but for whatever reason, like, you know, I never really made it there. And then I got commissioned for this film project and I was like, "Whoa, awesome, this is amazing. I finally get to go to Jura.
1: Marcus, what a perfect way to end the yeah. episode. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and yeah. providing your time. Uh, yeah.
0: It's, it's been really thinking.
1: been it's really been awesome. Interestingly, the the River Raid was one of the early projects that Martin and I collaborated on. Oh yeah, and came about because of you. So this is a nice little full circle yeah. over a
2: decade on. <laughs> I still remember that drone incident.
0: <laughs> let's let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that.
2: When <laughs> the drone was flying into the bit of woodland, a brand new drone. We totally thought that drone was lost. For
0: sure <laughs> we found it though dangling dangling an yeah, inch above the water by a tree branch dangling Whew. well marcus
1: uh enjoy the rest of your your evening i know you've got a bit more work to get on with safe
2: travels back to scotland yeah all the best Yeah, scotland soon
0: take care marcus <laughs> bye, See bye you later mate bye bye, bye. bye bye what a legend man what what a legend like in such a such an insight into you know uh, a life that not many people can say they've matched like that guy is just full of experience um yeah and a lot of amazing stories as well and great advice there was so so many great gems in there for creatives just people in general um about new outlook about how how to look at life in general um yeah super inspiring I would like to make a point though, Martin, cause I'm pretty sure, um, this
1: episode has been plagued with more technical issues than any other episode. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure my camera stopped, <laughs> stopped recording, um, during <laughs> Marcus's last, last bit there. So we're on the re- meat. I'm on meat. You'll be on right, full okay. quality, but I just want people to realize that I'm still recording the audio separately. And the difference that audio makes compared to vision and how important quality audio is over quality video and there'll be a bit in the middle there where we'll have poor quality audio and video it'll be interesting how this episode comes together Shit happens and it's just how you can salvage it sometimes
0: yeah i'm totally pumped i'll be unlocking the, the old bait lock and uh on the two wheels once again
1: This is a great opportunity, I think, Martin, to remind people that this podcast, video podcast, however you're watching it, it's not sponsored by absolutely anyone. It's a passion project produced in-house at Fosho Studios. So if you have enjoyed this and you are listening or watching to this point, then you know what to do. You know, all the, it's all down there. Just follow along and you know the best thing you could do is just share it with someone that you think would enjoy this and if you think someone would be great in terms of guest get in touch you know send them our deets and be like oh you should totally go on this podcast you like a drink you don't need to drink alcohol it can be a green tea i mean if you fancy it um that's what i'm obviously drinking i just i just decant it